Good morning. Thank you for that. That's very kind of you guys. Uh, I bring love and blessings from the other realities and from Reality Carpinteria. Uh, man, I have, I, I remember the first ever prayer meeting that we had for Reality San Francisco. And it is such a privilege and a joy for me to stand here and see all of you worshiping and enjoying Jesus together and living on mission in the city. So love and blessings from the Reality family. We love you guys. We're proud of you. You guys are thought of and prayed for and uh, loved from afar. So uh, we're going to talk from John 17 this morning. Let's open up in our Bibles to John chapter 17. You guys have been in the series from John, Life with God, and that has very much to do with the Holy Spirit, as did the ministry of Christ, as do our lives and experiencing the love of God and, and living on mission for Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about that today from John chapter 17. We're going to kind of be specific about verse 18 in John 17, but we'll read verses 1 through 20. The title of this message is Recapturing Our Sense of Sentness. Okay, this is a dire need within Christianity to recapture our sense of sentness. And that's really the, uh, the, the, the focus point of what Jesus is saying in John 17. Now, John 17 is Jesus' high priestly prayer, it's often called. It's his farewell prayer, right? He's, he's the night before the cross now. He's, he's face to face with the reality of the cross. He's had this amazing evening with his disciples. You guys have been studying all the words and the events and the washing of the feet and the Passover, the instituting of the Lord's Supper and Judas and the betrayal and all of that. And Jesus talking about the vine and the spirit that would come. And now, this is really the end of it. And at the end of this time, he prays for his disciples. And, by way of extrapolation, he says so explicitly in the text, he prays in this text for us as well. Okay, so this is Jesus praying to the Father. We'll just read the first 20 verses together of John 17. Verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. And now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Verse 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I have given them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Verse 10. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer. But they are still in the world. 
And I am coming to you, Holy Father. So protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave to me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. Speaking of Judas. Verse 13. I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Verse 15. My prayer is this. Not that you take them out of the world. But that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18, our focus. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, your true, living, active, powerful, wonderful word. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus said would teach us all things about the word, who would lead us in obedience to the word, in obedience to Christ, who would minister to us the truth of the word, who forms our lives according to the call of the word. Holy Spirit, that you would do that today. That you would teach us, instruct us, form us, and conform us into the image of Christ. Give us ears to hear now. Give us feet to obey. And we ask together that you please anoint me to teach and preach in a way that is faithful to your word, brings glory to Jesus, and is helpful for this church, which I love very much. We ask these things together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you are listening carefully to the words of Jesus' farewell prayer, excuse me, you kind of caught the, the gravity of it, the solemnity of it, the power of it. I mean, certainly the occasion is not lost on you that Christ is about to go to the cross. And this is his farewell prayer, the the last things he asks of the Father before he's nailed to that tree. These are the things that are heavy upon his heart. He's praying for the disciples and he's praying for his future disciples, for you, for me, for us. He's speaking to the Father from a place of oneness and intimacy, love, shared mission, mutual identity. And he's very much feeling this reality that he's been coaching the disciples toward, that he's leaving. Right? We've talked about this in the coming weeks. He said, it's actually better that I go. I'm leaving now, but I go to prepare a place for you. But if I go, the helper, the Holy Spirit will come. 
but he feels the weight of leaving these men and these women that he loves, that he'll bleed for in moments. And he has us in mind. He says it in verse 20. Father, extrapolate this prayer out to all those who would believe the good news of the kingdom. And what comes through in the words and the language of this prayer is this beautiful relationship that Christ has brought us into with the Father. He says in verse 3, now this is eternal life. No matter what you guys thought it was before, no matter how else it's been framed to you, Jesus says in his final prayer, let me frame eternal life for you in verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you. This is eternal life. Not what we do, not what we have, not merely the promise of heaven. This is eternal life, that we know the Father. When Jesus says no, he's not talking about some sort of uh, intellectual agreement with a set of doctrines. He's not talking about we just know about him or, or we just kind of grew up within Christianity. Or He's talking about knowing in a relational true love sort of sense. This is eternal life. This is a quality. This is the essence. This is the beauty. This is the privilege of eternal life that we know the Father. He says in verse 6, I have revealed you to them. Jesus reveals the Father to us. John chapter 1 verse 14 says Jesus is the exegesis of the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 says he's the exact representation of the Father. He has revealed to us the Father, God, His love, His being. And then He says the most wonderful thing in verse 9. As He's praying to the Father, He says, Father, and they are yours. They know you. You chose them. You love them. I revealed you to them, and they are yours. And then He says, and hence... Because they're yours and they now know you and have eternal life, verse 14, he says, they are not of the world. Everything has changed for them. The love of the Father, knowing you, the gospel, everything has changed. They are not of the world. In fact, Jesus grounds it in radical phraseology. He says, they're not of the world any more than I'm of the world. Let that hit you. They're not of the world any more than I have. And no one would say Jesus is from the world. He came from the Father. Truly, we who are his are not of. It's not our core. It's not our essence. We are not of the world. And then this becomes, then, in that narrative, a surprising prayer for us. Not of the world. Or, excuse me. They're not of the world any more than I am of the world. And then he says, and I'm going. So the logical conclusion, and certainly the desire of the disciples would have been, well, then take us with you. Right? If you're, if you're going, can't, can't we go with you? John chapter 14, where, where are you going? Jesus, we, we want to go with you. They're not of the world any more than I'm of the world, but I'm leaving. And then he says there in verse 15, but I do not pray that you take them out of the world. This is where it gets nitty gritty. They're of a different quality. They're of a different essence. They're of a different kingdom. They know the Father. They belong to Him. They're not of the world. But He says explicitly in the prayer, Father, I am praying that they stay in the world. 
My prayer is, he says, verse 18, that as I have been sent into the world, they are also sent into the world. Sentness. The Christian is a sent person. Jesus said this here before the cross, and it would be one of the first things he says to them after his resurrection in John chapter 20, verse 21. He says, Shalom Alechem, peace be with you. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Just before the cross and just after the resurrection, he tells us that as he was sent by the Father, we are also sent. Sentness is the essence of life with God. This is crucial indispensable, foremost Christian reality, and yet often overlooked. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, is to be a sent person. There is no authentic following of Jesus Christ without careful attention given to our sentness. There is no authentic following of Jesus Christ without Authentic attention given to our sentness. He says, as I was sent, they also are sent. So, if we're going to be faithful as followers of Jesus, we need to, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to the church with a capital C, we as God's people need to recapture our sense of sentness. Now let me just drill down for a moment. Here's what I mean. I mean that you are sent as who you are, where you are, to whom you know, with what you know right now. I don't mean that you may be sent sometime. We often think that mission is something that they do over there. They're missionaries, but I'm a normal Christian. That's so foreign to the New Testament. And some will go and some must go over there. There's thousands of people groups who don't have the scriptures in their language. There are places and people in the world who have never heard the name of Jesus. Someone's got to go, and some people will be sent. But unless you are sent over, he, over there, then you are sent right here. Everybody is sent. It's not a someday, it's not a maybe, it's not a when I go. It is who you are right now. This is part of our identity as Christ followers. And we have to see ourselves then and begin to endeavor to live out sentness as sent people, as who you are, with all your brokenness, with all your junk, where you are, to whom you know with what you know right now. We might put it in this sort of language, this is your assignment. Listen, God doesn't waste his people, God doesn't waste resources. You're on assignment right now. So Father has sent me, I also send you. And this is wonderful news, because this sentness that is part of who we are is grounded in love. This is good news. This is all because of love. The Father sent the Son, Jesus, in and because of love. 
Now, first of all, God bless you. First of all, we are sent, as Jesus was, because of love. We are sent because of love. John 3.16 forms this understanding, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The son was sent because of love, because the father loved the world. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through me, John 3.17. Because the Father loved the world. Sinners, fallen humanity, broken humanity. The Son was sent in love. And we are sent because of the same reason. Because those with whom you work, the family into which you were born, your friends, your peers, the people that you frequently hang out with at coffee shops, the people that you go to parties and dinners with, the people that live in your neighborhood, these are people that are loved by God. Loved by God. And so because God loves them, God is after them to reveal himself to them. And so because the Father loves the people around you, you are sent to the people around you. You're the perfect person for it. Nobody knows them like you. Nobody has the same place, point, and sort of access that you do. And so we are sent where we are right now as who we are to the people that we know with what we've got, limited as it is, because the Father loves the people around you. I want you to think of the person that you see every morning in the coffee shop. The Father loves them. I want you to think about the person that lives to your left, to your right. The Father loves them. I want you to think about that annoying coworker. The Father loves them. And here's the good news. Our sentness is not formed by our love for them. Listen, it's formed by the Father's love for them. Right? Because our love won't do. Our love is imbalanced, usually. We're either like Jonah or like Demas. Let me tell you about both those guys. Jonah did not love the Ninevites. But Jonah was sent to the Ninevites. Why? Because God loved the Ninevites. The Ninevites were naughty. No doubt about it. And Jonah didn't like their naughtiness. Jonah was comfortable where he was. He didn't want to go. He didn't want to see him. He didn't want to talk to him. He didn't really care. God wasn't looking for someone that loved the Ninevites. God already loved the Ninevites. Sentness is predicated upon God's love for people, not our own. Ours isn't enough. And will never do. And we're, we're often like Jonah, let's be honest. We, we just don't love the world enough. That's not the point. The point is the Father's love is what sends us. But then sometimes, conversely, sometimes we're like Demas. Demas was a ministry partner of Paul, and Paul says to Timothy in one of his letters, by the way, Demas is bailed out on the mission. He left me because he loved the world too much. You see, sometimes we love the world, things and people, more than we love the truth of God, the call of God, identity in Christ. Our love is just, it's imbalanced. And it's capricious and it's, it's unpredictable. But the love of the Father is steadfast and sure and everlasting. We are sent to those people 
where we are, to whom we know, with what we have, as who we are right now because the Father loves. We're sent because of love, just like Jesus. But we are also sent in love, not just because of, but in love. Look at John 5, it's on the screen. Jesus says, Very truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. God had a mission. Missio Dei has a mission. Jesus was sent into the mission because God loved the world, but Jesus was sent in love. He says, listen, here's my deal. Here's my life. I do what the Father shows me to do. And I can't do anything without the Father. Our connectivity is so profound. This is Christian life, right? This is John 15, Jesus talking about the vine. Dave talked about that. We can do nothing apart from the Father. And his salient point is this. I am in this thing. I am on mission because the Father loves me. The Father loves the Son. This is important also. This is an important distinction, nuance. Nuance, excuse me. It's not our love for God that propels us into mission. It's not our love for God that causes us to be sent people. It's God's love for us. Because our love is weak. Our love, again, is capricious. Our love is predicated upon so many frail things. And our love fails. That's why, to our shame, the first commandment has to be, you need to love God. That's the first and greatest commandment. So we never boast of our great love for God. The whole gospel is about God's great love for us in Christ. It's not about what we've done. It's about what he's done. So we never have to say, I'm so on mission because I love God so much. Wrong motive. Wrong impetus. Wrong reality. I'm on mission. I'm endeavoring to live out my sentness because God loves me so much. We are sent because of love, and we're sent in love. God's love is the key to sentence. One of the foundational beliefs that we have about God from 1 John 4, 8 is that God is love. This is part of what necessitates his triune nature. This is part of the mystery of the Trinity, that God has always, forever existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because love must have an object and if God is love, then for eternity, there has to have been someone to love. And we see this big theological word here, intertrinitarian communication played out in the Gospels. When Jesus comes and says things like, the Father loves me. I love the Father. And the Holy Spirit is spoken of in the same way. There has always existed this love. And here's the nature of love. Look what Pseudo-Dionysus, a 6th century theologian, said about love. He said, Love does not permit the lover to rest in himself. It draws him out of himself so that he may be entirely in the beloved. This is the nature of the Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one in mutual deference, submission, and love. Loving each other. 
expressions of love. And what happens when we, becomes, when we become Christians is that we are brought into the life of the Trinity, life with God. We're brought into this love relationship. And what has happened in creation and mission in the formation of a people in the church is that it's another expression of God's love reaching out. We have been saved because God's love by nature doesn't rest in itself. It's always reaching toward the beloved, to be fully in the beloved. That's why we're said to be in Christ, Christ in us. One as he and the Father are one. So because we've been brought into the life of the Trinity through salvation, this becomes part of our identity. God is reaching out love. We become people who reach out in love. It's part of what it means to be remade in God's image. This love relationship that's always been in the Trinity, which is extended to the world through Christ, is now extended to the world through us. Missiologist David Bosch says this, it's on the screen. To participate in mission is to participate in the movement of God's love toward people. Isn't that a good way to frame it? To recapture our sentence is to recapture an understanding that we are part of God's love movement toward people. Since God is a fountain of sending love. So what begins to emerge from this prayer is that we are called to an intimate love relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. The Father, who's nothing like our fathers were. He's not abusive. He's not absent. He doesn't do those things. He's perfect and steadfast and sure. His love is everlasting. Loves you with a love you've never known. It's nothing like your father. It's perfect love of the father. We've been brought into a love relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And this love relationship with God has a, here's a couple funny words, has a centripetal effect and a centrifugal effect. Okay, let me identify those for you. Centripetal is that force where everything is pulled toward the center, right? Think about, uh, have you ever uh, looked in a blender when a blender is going? Everything is going down toward the center. I don't know if that's actually centripetal force, but it looks that way. <laughs> or something we've all done, you flush the toilet, it all goes toward the center. That was crude, wasn't it? Centripetal force is that which is always drawing toward the center. God's love has a sort of centripetal force to it. It's always pulling us closer to him. That's what the Christian life is meant to be. God's love is drawing us in. But at the same time, God's love in the life of the Christian has a centrifugal force. You all know what that is. That's where everything is getting spun out further and further. right? That's what happens when we go on a merry-go-round. That's what happens when we go on those rides at the fair. We're spinning, we're spinning, we're spinning. We start to feel sick, pushing out away from the center. God's love through Christ pulls us in where we experience intimacy with God, the love of God, reconciliation, redemption, healing. And then it pushes us out. And this is the rhythm of Christian life. This is how it breathes. It's centripetal, always being pulled into the love of the Father by the Holy Spirit. It's centrifugal, always being pushed out 
into the world in the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes to us, this paradigm in Mark chapter 3, in these words. It says, Jesus went up on the mountain all night to pray. And then he came down. And it says this in Mark chapter 3, roundabout verse 13. Jesus chose those who he himself wanted, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority over demons. You see the centripetal and the centrifugal? That they might be with him, those he himself wanted, the disciples. That they might be with him, the withness of the Christian life, intimacy with God, experiencing love with the Father through Christ, and that he might send them out to preach. But please note the priority of things. First, we're pulled into the love of God. Christianity is first a withness before it's a going thing. We've got to give careful attention to withness before we give careful attention to our sentness. Those whom he self-wanted that they might be with him and then that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Ministry, sentness, flows from intimacy, withness. The more that we find ourselves drawing near to the heart of God, giving ourselves to time with Jesus, being conformed by the Spirit into the image of Jesus, the more we find ourselves propelled into faithful mission. This is the way that Jesus' own relationship with the Father worked in mission, was from intimacy. Look at John 7. Jesus said, I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. And I know him because I am from him and he sent me. This is one of the the profound declarations that Jesus made that was so culturally confrontive with with Israel at that time. Jesus said, listen, I know the Father. I mean, I really know him. The Father and I, in fact, are one. Not here on my own accord. The Father has sent me. I know him and I'm from him. And you, you guys know this. That to be in a a love relationship with someone, is to draw them into your passions. Isn't that part of it? Right, when you really love someone, aren't you excited about showing them what you're passionate about? Right, isn't this part of what sustains a relationship? Couples that have been married for a long time, when they they cease to share passions, when they cultivate too much of a life on their own, then that love begins to break down. That relationship begins to break down. Part of the beauty of love is including people in our passions. That's part of what we want to do. My son, Isaiah, he's 14. I I brought him with me this week as I came up here to speak. Where are you, son? I dare you to pop out and show the people your face. Come on, come here. They want to see you. Come here. Come on. Yeah, look at him. He's a good-looking kid. Gets that from his mom. I brought him up here with me on this trip because I love him. And so I want to include him in my passions. Passionate about Jesus. Passionate about preaching. I'm passionate about this church. Passionate about the mission of God. Passionate about this call. And so I'm including him in these things. Brought him up just so he would be included because I, I just, I love him. So I want to include him in my passions. So we surf together, right? We do all these things together that I've, since he was born, introduced him to. Because that's part of to love someone. 
I have a uh, new daughter. She's one years old. One year old. Her name is Fiodora with a PH. Fiodora Sunshine. Fiodora. Oh, there she is. I call her Fifi. <laughs> Fiodora is Greek for supreme gift. Uh, yeah. Oh. See, look, I'm already bringing her into my passions, the beach. There she is, right? And she loves the beach. So we're going to have a good relationship. Shared passion. I'm drawing her in. I love this little baby. I got to take her to the beach. My other passion, she's good at that too. Eating. See the food all over her face? She doesn't have a beard yet, but I always have food in my beard. Isn't she cute? In the same way, right, this is, you know this. You've had kids, you hold them, and you can't wait to show them the stuff that you love. Listen to me. The Father is passionate about people and saving people. And the Father is passionate about you. So he, because he loves you, has brought you into his burning, everlasting passion. This is what it means to be sent. Brought into the passion of the Father because the Father is passionate about us. We see this key element, the Father's love for someone, and the other key element, the power of the Holy Spirit, coming together at the baptism of Jesus Christ. What happened when Christ was baptized? Well, he started his ministry. So what, what did the start of his ministry, what did the start of his sentness look like? It looked like the heavens opening up and the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Just the love of the Father. He hadn't done any mission yet. He hadn't accomplished anything yet. He hadn't bled on the cross. There weren't any miracles yet. The Father just says, okay, you're going to start this thing. you got to know that I love you. And then what happened? The Holy Spirit descended upon him. And then that shows he needed the power of God. Christ incarnate would do his ministry by the power of God, the person of the Holy Spirit. This is what forms all of our understandings of mission. There are two things we've got to nail down to get our sentness. The identity issue and the power issue. Your identity, you're the beloved of God. The power to live out sentness in the Christian life is the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, where the gospel of John is heading, all this talk of the Spirit, is Acts chapter 1. Where Jesus would say, I know that I've told you guys that you're sent. I know that I've sent you to Jerusalem and then to the ends of the world. But then he would say this in Acts chapter 1. But don't do anything until the power of the Spirit has come upon you. Let me just read you a couple verses from Acts 1. On this occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard, from, which you have heard me speak about. Excuse me. Verse 5. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then he says in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
Jesus said, you're, you're sent people because of your identity as the beloved of God. But there's, there's one thing we've got to get, the power to be witnesses. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. I want you to think about how transformative that was for Peter. Peter was an apostle. An apostle means one who is sent. Peter struggled with that identity, with that sentness, until something happened. Until what? Until the Holy Spirit came upon the church. Before that, Peter was a, I don't know, Peter was a lot of things. Peter was a big mouth and Peter was a denier. Peter was a vacillator. One moment before Christ was crucified in Luke 22, Peter's saying, here's the deal, Jesus. Everyone else is probably going to abandon you, but I never will. James, John, these guys are kooks. These guys are probably out of here. But I'm willing to go to prison and even death with you. And hours later, he denied Christ three times. In fact, the last time it says he began to swear I do not know Jesus. That doesn't mean in that culture that he used foul language. It means that he said something akin to this. May God kill me and damn me if I'm lying. I don't know Jesus. At one point, Peter would rather have died than been associated with Jesus in his context. At another, he was willing to die for his association with Jesus. What made the difference? The power. The power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus called it the gift of the Father. Because a Father loves you, He's pulled you into His passions, you're sent. Because a Father loves you, He's given us, along with the Son, the person of the Holy Spirit, who is the power by which we can be faithful to Jesus. Jesus said to these disciples, these wayward disciples, he said, you will be my witnesses in the whole world. And all of them bailed at the moment of the cross. They all turned tail and ran. But all of them ended up giving their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single one of them martyred. They tried to kill John. They put him in a vat of oil and he wouldn't boil. He was bad. But all of them were willing to give their lives for Jesus Christ once they saw the risen Lord and received the power of the Holy Spirit. All of them discovered eventually something that Jesus Christ had spoken to them about, which is the ultimate satisfaction of sentness. Look on the screen at what Jesus said in John 5. He said, my food, okay, that which nourishes, sustains, and builds me, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And that's kind of the disconnect for a lot of us, is that we are looking for our food, so to speak, our nourishment, our building, things that we trust in, in the stuff of this world. Jesus said, I have, I have a food that you don't know about. You'll never experience something so sustaining and satisfying as doing the will of him who sent you. It's hard because sometimes that means hard things. For Jesus, it meant the cross. For us, it means self-denial. Sometimes to really give ourselves to this call of sentness, there's things that we need to walk away from. 
Peter had to put down the nets and walk away from the boats. Levi had to get up from the tax table and walk away and follow Jesus. There are certain things in our lives that become hindrances because we're refusing to surrender them. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Let us lay aside every sin that so easily encumbers us and run with endurance a race set before us. Sometimes it's sin stuff that we need to let go. Sometimes it's just other stuff that we're looking for in nourishment and satisfaction. And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And Jesus did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there are three main things that Jesus said the Spirit would do, or that the New Testament says the Spirit does. Number one, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the Spirit pours the love of the Father into our hearts pours the love of the Father into hearts. For some of you, that's the primary need today. We're going to close with a corporate prayer in a moment. For some of you, your prayer is going to be, Holy Spirit, I, I, I just need the love of the Father. I need a greater experience, understanding, resting, and rejoicing in the love of the Father. And it, it can be hard for us because of our own Father images, because of our own distractedness. Sometimes we just need the help of the Spirit. That's the work of the Spirit, to pour the love of the Father into our hearts. Romans chapter 8 says he's the one who causes the Christian to cry out, Abba. Causes us to relate to God the Creator as Daddy in intimacy. So he pours the love of the Father into our hearts. The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals the will of God to us. He leads us in God's will. Reveals and leads us in the will of God. That's the testimony in the book of Acts. Leads us in the Father's mission. And he's the one that in some supernatural, supernatural, otherworldly, mysterious, wonderful way fills our lives with power. And there's no way to be faithful to Jesus and to live out our sentness without that power. Now, I, I've not told you what sentness looks like in your city or in your workplace or with your family or with your neighbors. That is the grand adventure. That's for you to begin to discern because it's different for all of you. It looks like the ministry of Jesus. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. It looks like how Jesus did things, but that's, that's the grand adventure. And you need the Holy Spirit for that, to lead us, to say this is the way. Don't go there. Say this to lead us in that. That's a grand adventure. What I'm telling you is this. You need to secure today with the help of God the two key issues. Identity and power. You are the beloved of God. So you have been pulled into his love and propelled into his mission. And for that, we need the love gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Now there's all sorts of important doctrinal, theological distinctions that we could talk about. The Spirit with, the Spirit in, the Spirit upon. I'm sure we'll have space for that later. But Jesus made it really simple when he said this in Luke 10. If you need the Holy Spirit, ask your Father and he'll give him to you. And what we see clearly from the book of Acts is that the men and women that served Christ needed to be repeatedly filled 
of the Holy Spirit. Let's just let it be that simple today. We know we have need. We have need of experiencing the love of the Father. Letting the Spirit glorify Christ in our hearts and minds. And filling us with that love and that power to live life on mission. It's just a simple prayer. God, fill me with your Spirit. It's a prayer of profound faith. It's a prayer of profound consequences because the Spirit is always looking to conform us to the image of Christ. We may be called away from some things and we may be called to some difficult things, but we have the power of the living God in us. My daily prayer is, God, fill me with your Spirit to be faithful to you today because you love me because you've called me and you've sent me.